it is hard to hide worship. We are worship manufacturers. It's never a question of will we worship, but what will we worship is always the issue. C.S. Lewis accurately stated that we praise what we enjoy. Our praise not only expresses our joy, but at some level, our praise completes our joy. It was J.I. Packer who simply reminded us that to worship is to recognize worth. It is to acknowledge that what we see is something of value. A few weeks ago, I made mention of Louis Giglio in his work entitled The Air I Breathe, and he simply defines worship in this way. It is our response to what we value most. My friends, it is hard to hide worship. Sometimes our worship might be misplaced, but inevitably we are worshipers. All you have to do is look at how you spend your time and how you spend your resources and worship will bubble up inside of you and inevitably it will be revealed because it is hard to hide worship. Let me give you a couple of examples of it this morning. From our culture, there are times when we worship things that may be misplaced. Have you ever been to a concert and noticed the individuals that are closest to the stage? They are giving themselves to all-out worship. Hands are raised, singing to the top of their voices. They have devotion etched on their faces. And if the celebrity on the stage ever looks their way, watch out. Because worship's going to go to a whole nother level. And if that star on the stage ever comes close and touches them, oh my goodness, Katie, bar the door. Because they say, I'm never going to wash this hand again. Now you and I may conclude that that is misplaced worship, but it's worship nonetheless. They are expressing what they regard to be valuable, something of worth. I'll give you another example. Some of you may realize that in less than two weeks, the college football season kicks off. Now, believe me when I tell you this, there are some places in this country where college football is a really big deal. Now, don't doubt me on this. There are some places where college football is king. There are stadiums that will hold 100,000 people. They are crazed fans and they cram into that stadium. And then there are even thousands more outside the stadium who never have a shot of actually getting a ticket into the stadium, yet they bring their televisions and their grills and they tailgate from morning until night. And then beyond that, there are millions upon millions that are glued to their televisions for three and a half hours every Saturday in the fall. And if you watch them, you have to conclude that some of them are not just watching the game, they are worshiping. You've uh, watched the game, haven't you? You've seen as the camera pans the crowd. There's some people that are just crazy for their teams, aren't there? Faces are painted. Eyes are bugging out. Neck veins are pulsating out of their neck. They're screaming, they're hollering. And if anything good ever happens on the field, you better watch out. 
Because praise is going to come from that stadium. Now, you and I might conclude that that is worship that is misdirected, but it's worship nonetheless. Because people are expressing what they value. They are praising what they enjoy. My friends, it is hard to hide worship. It may be misplaced, but you can't ignore it. It may be misplaced, but you cannot hide it. It is inevitable. It is obvious because it's hard to hide worship. When you and I come to Psalm 115, I think the author would agree with that statement. It's hard to hide worship. In fact, he not only says it's hard to hide it, but he tells us where it ought to be directed. For we ought to lift up high holy praise to the living and giving God. If you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to Psalm 115. Once you've found your place in Scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to man. It's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Therefore, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God, you may be seated. The author begins with a great statement. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. It's not to us, not, not to you, not to me, not to anyone else or anything else in all creation. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. The operative word in that statement is glory. It's a word that literally means to be weighted down. It means to give weight to. Literally, it means to be heavy. Now, the author is not calling God names. He's not saying that God is fat. He's not declaring that God is obese. But he is declaring that God ought to be weighted down by the praise that we pile upon him. 
We have so much praise, so much worship, so much honor, so much glory that we give to God that the picture is set that God ought to be weighted down because of all the praise of his people that the people pile on God. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why? Because of your love and your faithfulness. The indictment against Israel's God was that the pagan nations said, we can't see him. Where is your God? That's the question that was always posed to God-fearers. Where is your God? The pagan nations would say, you can see our gods. Our gods are made out of statues, statues of the finest wood or the most precious gold, the most valuable jewelry. Our God, you can see. He's housed in this temple. He's there in that mausoleum. He is there in that beautiful structure. But where is your God? If you can't see him, then obviously he doesn't exist. And the psalmist engages the pagan in conversation. He answers their question, where is your God? Oh, our God, my God, is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. To say that God is in heaven is not to deny the omnipresence of God. No, all of God is everywhere. To say that he is in heaven is not to deny that he is on earth. He is everywhere. All of God is everywhere. But what the psalmist is saying is that our God rules and reigns above the earth. He is not within the earth. He is above the earth. And in fact, there is no statue. There is no building. There is no temple that can hold and house God Almighty. He rules and reigns from heaven. He does whatever pleases him. I don't think that that sounds arrogant or egotistical. No, our God does whatever pleases him because whatever pleases him is the right thing to do. Our God does all things well. He does everything perfectly well. So he's going to do whatever he can do to heap more glory upon himself. He is going to work in your situation. He's going to work in your life. He's going to work in your scenario. But the end result is always going to be how he is going to heap more glory upon himself. He does whatever pleases him. The psalmist continues the conversation. He says to the pagan, you need to worship my God because my God is the living God and my God is the giving God. Let's just compare my God to your God. Your God is made by the hands of men. But my God is the maker of heaven and earth. Your God has a mouth but cannot speak. My God spoke and the world came into existence. My God has given us his promises, promises that he always keeps. Our God has given us his word. Oh, your God has eyes, but he cannot see. He's blind as a bat. Yet my God, he watches over us both now and forevermore. He watches over our coming and our going elsewhere. The biblical author says that our God's eyes are upon the righteous. He says to the pagan, your God has ears, but he cannot hear. Your mute, dumb God is deaf. He has ears, but he cannot hear. But Moses records that the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayers of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out to me. I am concerned about their suffering. Therefore, go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Our God has ears and he can hear when his people pray unto him. 
The psalmist says, your God has a nose, but cannot smell. And yet after the worldwide flood, it is Moses once again who tells us that Noah constructed an altar, made a sacrifice, and that sacrifice from that altar was a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. And the Lord said that he would set the rainbow in the sky as a promise he would never flood the earth again. Can I just uh, chase a rabbit there for a second now that I just said something about a rainbow? Is it okay if I chase a rabbit? I acknowledge I'm chasing a rabbit right now. But it's a meaty rabbit, and once I get done, I'll get back to the text. Something about a rainbow. I, I, I am distressed that there are more people in our culture that when they see a rainbow, they see it as a symbol and sign of the LGBT community versus seeing it as a sacred sovereign sign that God has given of a promise that he gave thousands of years ago that he would never flood the earth and he's never flooded it since then and he's not going to do it anymore because there's a promise that he made. And I, I realize I, I am not real active in social media, but there's part of me that wants to start a campaign, hashtag take back the bow. Hashtag, take back the I just want to take back the rainbow. If the LGBT community, if they need a sign, let them make their own sign. Don't steal one of God's signs. This is God's sign. It is his rainbow. And why did he put the rainbow in the sky? Because Noah had offered a sacrifice unto him, and it was a sweet-smelling aroma under the nostrils of God. Now I'm back on the text. All right? Rabbit's done. Now I'm back on the text. He engages the pagan. He says, your God has hands but cannot feel. Oh, but my God has a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and he has saved me. Your God has feet but cannot move. He is immovable. You, you, he can't move or budge one inch, but, but my God, oh, he carries me piggyback. You remember a few weeks ago when we were studying in the Psalms, and it says that even while we sleep, God provides for those he loves. The image is that of God carrying us piggyback. He gets us from point A to point B. Even when we're asleep, whether it's physically or spiritually, either way, he gets us from where we are to where we need to be. The psalmist says, your idol, your dead idol, has a throat, but it can't utter a sound. But according to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, my God rejoices over me in singing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to give my life to a quote-unquote God who is made by my hands. I don't want to give my life to a God who has a mouth but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, a nose but cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot move, a throat but cannot sing. I don't know about you, but I want to give my life to a living, giving God. I want to give my life to the God who is creator of everything seen and unseen. 
I want to give my life to a God who has given me by his mouth his word. I want to serve a God who has eyes to see and ears to hear. I want a God who has a nose to smell the offering that we lift up to him. I want to serve a God who has hands that can reach out and catch me. I want a God who has feet that can carry me. And I want to serve a God who has a throat that can sing over me. I don't know about you, but I want to give myself to that God. The psalmist makes an interesting statement in verse 8. Those who make them will be like them. Once again, he's carrying on the conversation with the pagan. And he says to the pagan who's constructed his own statue of wood and gold, his own idol fashioned in his own image, he says those who make them will be like them. Interesting statement. You've heard before, you are what you eat. At some level, the author of this psalm is saying, you are what you worship. He's saying to those pagans, you worship a God who is mute, blind, and deaf. And spiritually speaking, you will always be mute, blind, and deaf. You become like that which you worship. It's a basic principle, and it's true regardless of the culture. But you may sit there and think to yourself, but... We don't construct any idols. We, we, don't, we don't have any statues. We don't rub Buddha's belly. I mean, we, we don't have any uh, shrine, any, any image. We, we don't have any idols like that. Oh, but my friend, we do have idols, don't we? If you value, praise, worship money, you will become greedy. If you worship material possessions, you will become materialistic. If you worship yourself, you will become selfish. If you worship tolerance, then you will become tolerant. If you worship pride, then you will become prideful. If you worship alcohol, you will become an alcoholic. But if you worship God, you will become godly. It's amazing how we become like that which we worship. This is the principle that the author lays down in Psalm 115. It's as true then as it is today. It's as true today as it forever will be because truth is truth. And because it's truth, it cannot be false. So this is a true statement. You are uh, becoming what you worship. You, you're becoming like that which you worship. Once again, it's Louis Giglio who says, if you don't like what you're becoming, then just take an inventory of the idols in your heart. If you don't like what you're becoming, then just check your heart. Check the idols that you've manufactured in your heart because inevitably you are a worship manufacturer. You will produce worship inevitably. It may be misplaced, it may be misdirected, but inevitably you will produce worship. So if you're becoming something that you don't like, just check the idols in your heart. If you don't have that self-awareness where you can say to yourself, now listen, I don't really like this or that about myself. What are other people saying to you? What are other people saying about you? If you don't like what they're saying to you or about you, the answer is not, I don't care what they think. No, the answer is, check your heart. What idols are you manufacturing? If you're becoming something that you don't like, then check 
the idols that you've manufactured in your heart. That's not original with Louis Giglio. Remember the words of Jesus? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the man speaks. It's out of the overflow of the heart that we speak, that we think, that we form our ideas, that we inevitably have our belief system and our behaviors. So Jesus said, it's what's on the inside that will come out. You can't help it. It's inevitable. Whatever you stuff inside of you, that stuff will come out of you. So the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Why? Because he's trustworthy. You trust in the Lord. And this declaration to trust in the Lord is given to all people. He says to the house of Israel, trust in the Lord. To the house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. To all those who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He says to all of Israel, all the preachers, all the house of Aaron, to anyone, whether they're Jew or Gentile, anyone who fears the Lord, trust in him. Because when we trust in him, the psalmist says that he being God will remember us and he will bless us. He will remember us and he will bless us. Now, we don't trust in God to get a blessing, do we? We do not, let me say that again because y'all didn't amen that. Let me say it again. We do not trust God in order to get a blessing. That's called manipulation. That's not called worship. We trust God simply because he is trustworthy. And because God sets up the rules and parameters, he says to us, you can trust me on this one. If you trust me, I will bless you. If you trust me, I will remember you. I won't forget you. If you trust me, I will bless you. And the psalmist uses a parallel structure when he says he will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless all those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. He uses the same parallel structure. Those who trust the Lord are those who are blessed by the Lord. You do realize that you are a blessed people, don't you? I mean, we are a blessed people. We are the children of God. Christ is our Savior. The Holy Spirit has sealed that salvation in us both now and forevermore. We are a blessed people. Let's just stop for a second and just itemize some of those blessings. God has blessed us with creation. I mean, you didn't just appear, did you? No, God created you. And if you're here today and you're breathing, and I'm assuming that since you're sitting there, you are breathing. If you're here today and you're breathing, then you are a creation of God. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. No, the stork did not deliver you. And contrary to what your older siblings said, mom and dad did not find you under a rock. You are a creation of God. Therefore, you are blessed. And not only that, but God in Jesus Christ has saved you. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We go from no faith to faith through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. It is only in Jesus that we have salvation. And if you have called on the name of the Lord, my friend, you are a blessed person. You're blessed with salvation. You are blessed with forgiveness. Does anybody drag sin in today with them? I didn't think you'd raise your hand. I will. Yeah, we all do. We drag sin into this holy sanctuary today. And you know what? We are so blessed 
that today, if you confess with your mouth, he will forgive you of all unrighteousness. All you have to do is confess your sin unto the Lord and he will forgive all of your unrighteousness. That is a blessing from the Lord. Our God blesses us with all provisions of life. And Paul says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's that word again, glorious. That God will supply all of your needs according to the huge, according to the heavy, according to the ginormous riches of Jesus Christ in your life. My God will supply all of your needs. Anybody come in here needing something today? Our God can supply it in Jesus Christ. Anybody need wisdom? My friend, you're blessed with wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, according to James, all he has to do is ask and God will give it freely. Do you need some discernment as to which path to venture down? Do you need some wisdom as to which choice to make? All you have to do is ask and he will give it freely. Our God gives us healing. That's a blessing. By his stripes, we are healed. It's even a blessing when that day comes for death, isn't it? In Psalm 116, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. My friend, if you are in Christ, death is not an accident, it's an appointment. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For us Christians, there's no such thing as an accidental death. It is an appointment death. Every time a person dies, it is because Jesus himself personally came to receive us unto himself. He said, your mansion is ready. Let's go. I'm coming to ultimately heal you. And I'm going to take you home to heaven. My friends, all these things are blessings from the Lord. So the ultimate question is, do you trust him? Do you trust God? Do you trust in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust him both now and forevermore? Before you really answer that, let me introduce you to Jean-Francois Gravelet. He was the 19th century French acrobat, also known as Blondin. He's the guy who maneuvered a tightrope 160 feet above Niagara Falls. Now, the first time he did that, that was pretty impressive, wasn't it? But he thought to himself, I need to repeat this but I can't just do the same thing the same way, so I've got to raise the stakes just a bit. And so the story goes is that uh, he pushed a wheelbarrow across that tightrope. That was pretty good. One time, he went across that tightrope over Niagara Falls, went halfway, sat down on the rope, cooked an omelet, ate it, stood back up, and went the other half of the way. The story says that one time, he put his manager on his back, carried him across 160 feet above shore death of the Niagara Falls. When he got across, what did the crowd do? There was a thunderous applause. The manager climbed off of Blondin's back and he looked at one who was really hooping and hollering and he said, do you think I could do that for you? And the response was, of course. He said, hop on my back and I'll carry you across. 
And the response was, not on your life. (laughs) It's one thing to confess trust in the safe confines of the crowd. It's another thing to confess trust. You're in the midst of the crisis. It's one thing to say, hey, I bet you could do that for me. Well, come on, let's do it. Not on your life. It's one thing for us to say we trust God on Sunday. It's another thing to say we trust God on Monday when the boss calls us in and gives us a pink slip. It's one thing to say it on Sunday. It's another thing to say it on Tuesday when the doctor says you have cancer. It's one thing to say it on Sunday. It's another thing to say it on Wednesday when your spouse of 17 years says, I don't love you anymore. Oh, it's one thing to say it on Sunday. It's another thing to say it on Thursday when your grandson of eight years old is diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Oh, it's one thing to say it on Sunday. It's another thing to say it on Friday when you get the rejection letter from your college of choice. It's one thing to say it on Sunday. It's another thing to say it on Saturday when temptation comes at you, which is both sudden and fierce. It's one thing to say it in the safe confines of the crowd. It's another thing to say it when you're in the midst of the crisis, you're 160 feet over sure death of the Niagara Falls. The psalmist is telling the crowd, you can trust God anytime and all the time because he is trustworthy. He is the living God. He is the giving God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Why? Because of your love and your faithfulness. You can trust him. So the psalmist says, I pray that God increases your faith. I pray that he increases your family. I pray he continues to bless you. Some mute idol is not going to bless you, but my God will. Some blind, deaf idol made of wood or stone is not going to bless you, but my God will. He ends the psalm in this way. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but God has given the earth to men. It's not the dead who praise him, those who go down to silence. It is we, the living. We extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Therefore, praise the Lord. The psalmist had been to more than one funeral. He looked at the loved one in the casket, and he said, you know what? That person can no longer praise God here on earth. He's not denying to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. He's not denying that that, that, that person who has passed is now in heaven, Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ forever in perfection. He's not denying any of that. But he's saying heaven is not the only place where praise needs to be piled onto God. Heaven's not the only place. On earth, praise ought to be piled onto God. We ought to lift up praise and glory and honor and worship unto him. But you don't go to the funeral home to find dead people praising the Lord, they're silent. He says they go down in silence. No, it's we who are alive. We extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Therefore, praise the Lord. 
that word praise the Lord is really one Hebrew word. It's hallelujah. Whenever you say hallelujah, you actually speak in Hebrew. Hallel means praise. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh, the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That is praise the Lord. And at the end of the text, that's the only word that's written there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What the psalmist is saying is to those who are living, now is a good time to hallelujah. Now is a good time to praise the Lord. Have you ever just wanted to stop and thank Jesus for saving your sin-sick soul? If so, do it now. If there's ever a time when you wanted to say, Jesus, thank you for mending my marriage. It was broken. It was on the rocks. But now you have set it firmly upon the rock. Just, I want to say thank you. If that's you, then just do it now. Has there ever been a time when you have said, God, I just want to thank you for healing me? The doctor gave me two months and that was two years ago. So I just want to stop and say thank you. If that's you, do it now. If you've ever been in the valley of the shadow of death and know that you have not been abandoned by God but accompanied by him and you simply say to yourself, you know, Lord, I just want to stop right now and just say hallelujah, my friends, do it now. If there's ever been a time when you just want to say, God, thank you for my family, do it now. If there's ever been a time you say, God, I want to thank you for my spouse, do it now. If there's ever a time you say, God, I want to thank you for the arrival of my grandbaby, do it now. If there's ever a time when you say, God, thank you for retrieving my prodigal, do it now. If you want to say, God, thank you for from making a way when there's no way. Do it now. I don't know about you, but now is a good time just to say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you've done. You should have killed me, but you kept me. You should have slaughtered me, but you saved me. I just want to come today and say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Now, I didn't just put a golf ball and it went into the tee and we give the golf clap. I'm talking about we praising the Lord. We're saying unto God, hallelujah. I got to praise you because why? Because it's hard to hide worship. You can't hide it. It may be misdirected at times, but you can't hide it. And when God's people realize all that God has done, we just got to stop and say, hallelujah. Praise his holy name. It is hard to hide worship. May there be so much evidence against us that the watching world says, he's a Jesus guy. She is a Jesus gal. I can tell because they worship the living and giving God. May there be so much evidence that the watching world says to us, you know what? There's no way you can hide your worship of God because he is worthy. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you for the fact that you are trustworthy. 
We can trust you with all of our fears and all of our failures. We can trust you with our past and our future. You are the living God. You are the giving God. You're alive. You're active. You're on the move. And we love you. And Lord, there are times, and please forgive us, there are times when we misplace our worship and we, and we direct it at something else in creation. And Father, we pray that we will be worship manufacturers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, in this moment, if there's somebody here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today they will trust you. If there's somebody here who is struggling, they're in the valley, I pray that they will trust you. It's one thing to say we trust you in the safe confines of the crowd, but Lord, please, when things get tough and tight, when things are tumultuous, help us to be able to say we trust you. And may nothing be able to shut us up because you are our Savior and we cannot hide our worship of you. Lord, draw people to yourself. Bring them here to this faith family. Whatever you need to do in this invitation moment, do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.